Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. Our usual co-host, Susan Fox, has the week off this week. But with me today are Karen McCarthy and... Sean Crosby. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hi, Gene. Hi. <laughs> so, um, I can't pretend that I don't know you guys. <laughs> you know, like I do with nearly all of You can pretend. The... <laughs> Nepotism is rampant at Krypton Radio. The, the, he doesn't uh, know me that well. Well, uh, but I we do have a commonality, and that is that we all worked together on a short film which you directed Karen, and wrote uh, called and produced <laughs> and edited <laughs> and, and edited and, and all that other auteur, stuff auteur 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 uh, director it, the film is called love in the age of steam and uh we we like to talk to creative people especially of the geeky persuasion uh on this show and Where of the uh, geeky persuasion yeah so I thought we'd talk about your film and everything that led up to it and, and how it's all working out. Um, it is a nine-minute steampunk short that can be found online on Vimeo called Love in the Age of Steam. It was produced for basically no money, which is really tricky. Uh, I got a lot of help some, from some amazing and talented people, including yourselves. Wee! Yay! Um, we have a time machine called a chronometer that we built at Sean's house. <laughs> <laughs> I called up Sean. Hi, Sean. What are you doing? Want to help me build something? And <laughs> well, and, and we did it for almost no money, and yeah. uh, and. It actually came out looking pretty good. It doesn't suck. It's in my living room right now. And still? Still. And people come in and they look at it. And sometimes they don't realize that it's there or they think that, oh, I should ask her about whatever that is. And then they forget to ask me. Nice. <laughs> and then sometimes they want to see it work. So then I have to have turn you, the lights on. Have you put like functional room seating in there yet so people can come in and sit in there and... No, not yet. I've kind of shoved it off to the corner. It looks like a little gazebo. <laughs> you, you need to make like a conversation pit out of it. I do. I could turn it into a reading nook. Nice. Yeah. I don't so. have a window, but there's my window seat. So Love in the Age of Steam is currently entered in which film festivals? Uh, we're entered in a number. i got to try and remember everything. Uh, we are definitely entered in the Underground Cinema Awards. Mm -hmm. And we... We're just voted like the most popular online in this crazy online voting thing. I, I still don't we understand just, awesome. it. Yeah. We were behind by like 400 votes. And in like the matter of three or four days, we exceeded them by 90 votes. Snuck, blew past them while they weren't looking. We blew past them while they weren't looking. It was amazing. There was like this online grassroots thing thing to get the word out to go vote and um one of our big uh fans who was getting the word out was Bryn Chandler Reeves who is a writer for um for shows a lot of your fans may be interested um Gargoyles mm -hmm. and uh Batman the Animated Series oh, and I a few I other love things both of, lo loved both of those shows <laughs> neat so um she's an amazing writer 
and uh, we've been friends for a long time, and I just messaged her, hey, go vote for me, and the next thing you know, she's like, come on, everybody, let's go vote. <laughs> well, and that's what you need, you know. You need a, you need a maven, a, a, a mover, a, a, a taste setter. I know, and then right after um, the voting, I get a message from the organizer of the event, the event is actually in Dublin, Ireland. So, so we've been invited to go to Dublin, Ireland to the award ceremony in November. I don't know if anybody in the caster crew is going to be able to go. Kickstarter but coming soon. <laughs> we have been invited. And um, then uh, the organizer friended me on Facebook, and his name is David uh, Byrne. And Not the he, singer from uh, The Talking Heads. I don't think so. Okay. Just but I could be wrong. But one of the first things I noted on noted noticed on his Facebook page was he is also a member of the five hundred and first. And you know, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, as a member of the five hundred and first, I do not know everybody, but uh, sometimes our reputations precede us. And so I'm curious. I have to go look him up now and see if yes. he's someone I know from the 501st. No, because he's not one of your Facebook friends. That's what threw me. Oh. I'm like, here's a someone from the five hundred and first who does not know. Sean, well, <laughs> Genus, you can't see it, but Genus throwing little red noses at us. Yeah, the the, uh, the crackling noises I you heard. I think so. We can sound like this. Well, so the thing that makes me laugh Roger, about Roger. Clown noises, the thing that makes me laugh about Roger, this Roger. clown nose thing is that um, if you remember uh, Jim Backus, Thurston Howell the Third, in the voice yes. of Mister Magoo. Oh yeah, he'd been hired to play Mister Magoo, but he didn't know what kind of voice he was going to use yet. And he was in a gag shop, and he put on a red rubber nose, and that's how he found the voice for Mr. Magoo. Oh, because it pinched his nose? and It, it did, <laughs> and it, he, it was the character he created oh, around Magoo. this little red You've nose. You've done it again. And so, so Gene's been wearing this red number no, rubber nose, and that's what I keep thinking of is like him, you know, putting this, this nose on and, and yeah, doing the Roadhog, you know, whatever his, his thing was. <laughs> but uh, that's funny. So now we all have red rubber noses. And now we all sound like droids. <laughs> oh, no. It's Jedi. You're not supposed to be there. Roger, Roger. Ah! Get the I humanoid. I have a feeling about this. <laughs> Get the humanoid. <laughs> the intruder. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it's surprisingly how well – it's surprising how well this works on an audio-only medium. I know. <laughs> you know? It's <laughs> Nobody can see the red rubber nose. Mm-hmm. The, the one but thing they can that, hear put, the red rubber nose. I'll just put right. mine on my uh, on the adjustment for my I'll microphone just here. Tag mine on the end of my ball cap. Well, and the the thing that you that you can't experience uh, over audio is the uh, weird foamy smell that they have when you actually put them on. Your <laughs> <nose>. <laughs> so, you don't get that. We do. Yeah, we do. So so you built the time machine for for. Basically, no budget at all. You no did, budget. Was and it all I in... didn't plan far enough ahead. I didn't think, how am I going to get this to my my loft condo in uh, studio or uh, in Granada Hills, mm-hmm. all the way from where Sean lives <laughs> through the Sepulveda Pass. Right. I I live by Los Angeles International Airport. It's, it sounds like you would have to have uh, take partially disassembled it to do it. We did not. Oh my god! Well, it, no, it, part of it was designed to be taken apart, so we it was could largely have. made out of PVC pipe. Mm-hmm. But by the time we put it together, I think they decided that they liked it assembled and didn't want to mess. We were afraid of messing up like the if paint you, if job. You, or... If you took it apart, there was a chance you'd never get it put back together again exactly the same way. Yeah, there was that, and then One there was those... the needing to touch up the paint job. Wow. And, uh-huh. and painting indoors is not so good. Kind of, well, well, as you know, everything in steampunk is brass or bronze or of copper. Course. Right. And so we took this white plastic sprinkler pipe, which so formed streaks and tips, rub and buff. The really inexpensive. You're giving away the secrets. <laughs> we took this really inexpensive material and tried to make it look like metal, and you... it worked. I thought you made it out of. Uh, I thought you made it out of iron or, or, or found iron or something. It like looks that. pretty good. It looks great on camera. Yeah, it looks. It it looks pretty good. It's great it did on camera. Not suck. And then we we also did the shiny copper pipes in the back, larger yeah. ones, and uh, and you, if you watch the short, um, look for a look for my television. It's in the shot. Awesome. <laughs> Intentionally or unintentionally? No, I was hiding it. It's hidden. It's hidden. You can't see it, but it's there. 
my whole entertainment center was there because I couldn't move it. It was too big, and I didn't have anywhere to put it. So we had to hide it. So we turned it into a basically a giant steam kettle. <laughs> cool. Um, so it's there. I'm, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching Sean's microphone slowly. It's, it's sagging. It's, it's, it's sagging. It's, it's it started where uh, it's on a it's on a microphone boom and it's right it's, and it, uh, it had been pretty much been that, at mouth level. And... Cinch up that uh, that joint at the, at the at the base there. Give it a good tight. Yeah. Our, uh, there you go. Our lead oh. actress, Genevieve Levine, is actually in another play. She does a lot of stage acting, and I meant to bring the info with me, and I I was in such a rush to get out the door, I forgot to bring the info. Oh, no. I, I'm fired. So how did you find uh, – how did you – did you – was she somebody you knew already? or, uh, or? Genevieve I met through another one of our geeky friends, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she – is a theater actress and she does voiceover and so um, I also do voiceover. That's mm-hmm. kind of how Sean and I met. Sean and I met on a panel at a comic con. Um, we did, and the panel was was really weird. It was Long Beach Comic Con. <laughs> Long Beach Comic Con. And the, the panel had um, the author of the Empire Strikes Back novelization, mm-hmm. Donald F. Glut, was there. Oh yes, uh-huh. and the the name on the panel the star on the panel was phil proctor what which was crazy who knows who that is and do you know who phil proctor no is? i have no idea oh, okay so donald f glut i know right so so phil proctor was I thought in you were the star on the show <laughs> yeah i don't know we had uh he had lots and lots of uh of television parts you can look him up on imdb mm-hmm. he's been in also and you'll you'll look at his face and go oh my god it's that guy but he was part of fire sign theater Oh, for a very I have a time. lot of television parts too, but I keep them in a bin under the desk. Oh, you know, sadly, <laughs> and, and and I have to say, um, and so I've, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I have been broadcasting here on Krypton Radio for over two years, uh, with the little morning show, and we've had Docking Bay ninety four, which has been here for three years or four mm-hmm. years or however long we've been doing it. Um, four, and, I think. And I never thought to go to the Internet Movie Database and look Gene up. And so I finally did that, like this week, like within the past oh, you couple looked days. IMDb. I looked at your IMDb thing, and it it is woefully inadequate because I know you've worked on lots more things that actually show up. That's actually you true. Have on to IMDb. Update those I've things. actually got I've actually got a few screen credits, but I really need to go back and uh, and update my IMDb page, and because I've worked on probably. I don't know, sixteen films. Well, and and you know, I don't I don't see any credits yet for Love in the Age of Steam. Uh, oh nudge, yeah, yeah. Nudge. I actually Genevieve just bugged you me. Have an IMDb I have page. I need to do IMDb pages for both of my short films, which I have not done. <laughs> I when it comes to bureaucratic things, I drag my feet. My taxes are always just getting in, in on time. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm slowly getting better with that. We got our, our uh, we actually paid our corporate taxes up front for the year for the first time this ooh. year. Wow. Since we, uh, since we founded. Color me impressed. So, yeah, well, it's a matter of having the 800 bucks on hand all in one lump, you know? Oh, yeah. Get it out of the way uh, before yeah. you. But, uh, yeah, I need to do an IMDb page for Mighty Aphrodite as well. Yeah, you need you to know, do that. I mean, since well, but Mighty Aphrodite hasn't really, like, come out yet. And so you're, it's in production. Yeah, so, so, I'm, so you yeah. can do it. As I've got a little head in there. Her thing's going to film festivals, man. Come yeah, on. You need, yeah, you need an <laughs> IMDb page at this point. Something. You have to. It's not real it's not until it shows hard. up on IMDb. Yeah, it's not that hard to do it. I know. I need to update all my other credits, too, because I worked on it. Do you have a professional account or just a regular one? Oh, no. I have a pro account. I've worked on, like, over 500 I'm thinking. Oh my God. Oh I'm my thinking God. of going pro just so I can update things because I have a lot of I have a lot of computer software things I did voices on mm-hmm. that I don't have yeah. credit for. Yeah, I should probably yeah. I should probably uh, update to. And I I think they let you update those things indiscriminately as long as you pay them money for a professional account. Well, I had one <laughs> that I had actually I had updated one. I worked on a a show with more of a mini series. But someone with my same name also worked on it. So oh, that's, I think ooh. we're and but two different positions. So the person with my same name, I think, went and and took my credit uh-huh. down because they thought it was a mistake. Oops. I just had a terrible, terrible experience with IMDb where somebody 
there's another guy with my name, and and I cannot tell. I haven't been able to figure this out if he has been, um, you know, sort of gaslighting somebody that he's me. Uh, but this – anyway, this project is for an author. The author has written a bunch of books. They did uh, some audio books based on this project. And whoever the guy was with my name is has like completely stood them up and screwed them over and done some terrible, terrible things. Oh, boy. But the credit shows up on my IMDb. And and usually when I contact IMDb, I can say, hey, that's not me. Um Please remove that, uh, attach it to somebody else because that's not my um, – that's not, not my – your credit. It's not a legitimate credit and I don't right. want to take credit for anyone else's work. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I'm getting slammed because they're like, oh, I can't believe what you did to this person. You're a terrible, terrible person. And, and you've never heard of either of them. No. And it, it – like literally one night at 2 a.m. on Facebook, somebody sent me a note going, you know, you heartless jerk. I can't believe you did this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it was the first I'd heard of it. And they wow. said, I looked at your credit. I saw this thing and, blah, 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 and you did this and you completely screwed these people over. And so now I'm trying to extricate myself from that because I have oh, no geez. idea what this project is. Uh, and apparently she's some author who self-publishes that certain people like. And, mm-hmm. and whoever this guy was with my name who said, you know, I am a voiceover actor and I will introduce you to producers and I'm well connected in Hollywood and whatever Uh-oh. promises they made this person – I didn't do. And it's it's terrible. It's like having your identity stolen backwards where somebody's like where you get you get all the bad rep- you, the you bad get stuff the from somebody's bad reputation. Right, and you didn't do it. And so I'm trying to sort that out with the Internet Movie Database. So I've sent Well, at them. least the other me has a good reputation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a help. So, um how how long ago did this whole project start? Love in the Age of Steam. Um I think I started uh not this past September, September before this, um, I wanted to apply to the AFI Women Directors Program. And mm-hmm. I went, I don't have any recent samples. I need something. And it needs to be a narrative. And my chances of getting into the program are slim to none. Without one, with, certainly. Without anything, because with even with one, because of the quantity of people, and they're all women, <laughs> who apply well, yeah. to the Women Directors Program. Um, just hundreds of people apply and they only take, I think it's eight, five to eight. And so, um, I thought you would be surprised at how many of the applicants are just complete hosers. I mean, just, you know, it looks like a lot, but don't let that daunt you. Anyway, I did, I did apply, but you've got people of all different levels and backgrounds and who have all different budgets for their projects uh, or time, or you don't know how much time or money any of them have spent on them. And you're just trying to do the best you can uh, with what you have. And I, I knew my odds of getting in were slim, so I wanted to do something fun. Sure. (laughs) So Uh I went steampunk and, uh, my sister-in-law, uh, Joyce McCarthy is kind of known as Steampunk Molly, and uh, she had a lot of contacts, and I know Sean, who is also somewhat active in the Steampunk universe, and uh, a few other people, and I started reaching out to people. I'm like, I want to do this little short, and I need costumes and sets and... Whatever else, and, and all of it has with? to be for free because I can't. I have pay, no I can't money. Spend anything. Uh-huh. I will feed you. Is pretty much what I was able to do. Most and of us will work for craft services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. You know, if if you feed them, they're happy. I mean, and and and, there's, and just the camaraderie of. I mean, we're all coming up from the same, you know, the the same pool of of, of muck, so to speak. <laughs> Nobody's got any credits or or we have few credits or the credits we have nobody's paying attention to because they're all driving around in their Mercedes with the windows rolled up. Oh, is that, is that you what, know? It is? what happened? Hmm. You know, I've I've always I've always theorized that the uh, the Mercedes Benz symbol is actually just a stylized asshole. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, See, no, that's I thought it was like the love symbol kind of. I think it's supposed to be a propeller because Mercedes made um, made airplane Don't go engines. Sense. Actually, it's, <laughs> I, I know the real answer to that, and the answer to it is that it's supposed to represent 
the three branches of the military that Mercedes made engines for. Oh. The, ah. land, the land, the sea, and the air. I see. Interesting. So it, that's why it's a, tri, a trifoil uh, design. And that's, that is interesting. That's where that symbol came from. That's why they designed it that way. But mm. but getting back to the, the main issue, it's it's hard to get noticed. You know, I mean, oh, there's, totally. there's, uh, there are two complete creative structures in Hollywood, two co- and they're almost completely separate. There are the people who do it because they love it, and there are the people who do it because uh, they're sort of born into it, and they, there's just, they can't do anything else because they have to ride that gravy train or they're dead. You know, they don't have yeah. the creative you know, the creative ability. Occasionally you'll get somebody like Seth MacFarlane who managed to cross the line, you know, right. and, and come up from shooting Star Trek films in his bedroom, right. you know, in his sister's bedroom while she was away for college right. and, and, uh, and rise up to become this creative Well, and that powerhouse. was, that was Spielberg too. And, yeah, you know, Spielberg it, and it Lucas. helps a lot when you have family support and, you know, mm-hmm. enough money to get your Super eight millimeter film actually developed at Photomat, and uh, right, that was and, a and theme kind of thing. thing back in the day. Yeah, was, there was no. Video. I would have there done a whole no... lot more stuff had I had the funds back sure, when I was a kid, sure. but... or the backing. You know, if you right. been, uh, if we had, if any of us had been born into, uh, uh, like an upper, even an upper middle class family. Right. But, you know, if you are interested in doing this kind of stuff, it's so much easier now because the cost of producing stuff has come down. It may not be. And the quality's yeah. gone way up. Yeah. You look I at mean, some of the stuff on YouTube. Shoot with a relatively inexpensive cell phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the computers these days come with at least remedial editing right. software. Mm-hmm. So you, you can put a little something together. And uh, it's. Good. The more you do, the more you learn, and the better you get each time. Well, so. and there is kind of like a third level to that, which is are the people who have been legitimately discovered. And so, like, there's a there's a guy named uh, Red Pepper, and he was operating a train in the London Underground, and he got on the microphone and he made an announcement that's like, "We are now approaching the Baker Street Station. Please, you know, remain seated and mind the gap, and et cetera, and so forth." And now he, uh, especially since Don LaFontaine died, he is now the main movie trailer guy who does the movie trailer narrations. And so oh, he is he has become the new guy who sits there and goes, in a world, you know, whatever the thing. I and worked for Don LaFontaine once. Really? Oh, neat. To, as a camera operator. <laughs> what a strange, <laughs> a music strange. video so for you, his wife. You sh- You shot a video for a guy... Who's like the preeminent voiceover trailer guy, and you yeah. didn't, work you didn't so. get to demonstrate your voices? For I him. I wasn't doing voices so much then. Um, I had just gotten out of college, and um, I wasn't really doing voiceover until uh, kind of it developed uh, when I was working in the Financial News Network. We used to do crazy voices over mm-hmm. the intercom system. Nice. <laughs> Just out of and, pure boredom to keep from going crazy? Yeah, to keep us from going crazy. And I was also doing improv at night after I would get off work. Mm-hmm. Um, so one night uh, our director of the improv group played a game where he'd stick everyone up on stage one at a time. And every time he snapped his fingers, you had to do a different voice. And I was up there the longest. And nice. I ended with this one. Uh-oh. And so it kind of went off from there. <laughs> so. Now, so I I used to practice my voices. I had a tele – it was a telemarketing job, but it wasn't selling anything. It was um, what they called telemarketing research where you would get a list of people to call and they had purchased some service or product and you would do a survey mm-hmm. and you would find out how much they liked their product, uh, their product that they bought. And so – my thing would be like, you know, Mercedes customers. And so I'd call someone up and go, hi, this is Sean Crosby from Lieberman and Associates. I understand you just bought a Mercedes SLK, blah, blah, blah. Uh, would you like to tell me about your experience? And try not to interrupt people during dinner and try to be kind of nice about it. But I, it's boring. It's terribly boring. <laughs> and I've got a decent phone voice and I certainly have a radio voice and had come from radio but had no job because my stations went away. And so I ended up doing this. And so to entertain myself, I started doing silly voices and accents. And so I do, I would do an entire, um, 
uh, phone call like Monty Python, or I would do it like um, I would do it in a in a you know Irish accent or something like that, and and that's how I sort of trained myself to have believable, legitimate accents. But the thing that got me what now thinking about this is that at the time people were very excited to hear somebody who wasn't American on the end of the phone talking to them about whatever. Huh. And <laughs> and now we're excited to hear somebody who is American on the other end of the phone. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> when we talk to somebody and we get one of these phone calls, we're like, oh, okay, you're you're in the country. That's that's <laughs> awesome. It hasn't been outsourced. And it's a relief now. Hello, my name is Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those. And, uh, I like it to do the market, other way around. Swedish, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to mess with telemarketers when they call me. I, I don't speak mock Swedish. Mock Swedish. <laughs> well, the Swedish chef does, and that's all yes, that matters. Yes. I, oh, I yeah. speak mock Japanese, though. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I do that when I get a telemarketer call. If I know it's a telemarketer call, I'll answer the phone. Mushi, mushi. Nice. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Very good. And that's the end of the phone call. That's the, and then they try to speak to me in Spanish. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, see, I, I usually just pick up the, if I know for sure that it's a that it's a scam call, I'll pick it up and go. Los Angeles Police Department, Crosby speaking, fraud division. How can I direct your call? Click. <laughs> That's a good one too. That's a good yeah. One. I I used to get uh, phone calls for uh, you know, hello, uh, we we have we're calling you because we have received information that your your computer has been compromised. Yeah. Oh, give me that your, one. Please give me your oh. credit card, and I I respond by saying. Thank you for calling the Windows support line. Please give me your, uh, we can begin as soon as you give me your credit card information, you know, and turn the tables on them. And they go, no, no, you misunderstand me. <laughs> I'm calling you because we have received information that you've been in, your computer is infected. And I go, yes, you've called the correct line. We are here for virus and, uh, vi what is it? Virus and malware removal. Please begin the call with your credit card information. <laughs> nice. You know, a, a, a few rounds of that. And no, they're, no. They've either hung up either, or they're swearing at me. Which no, is no. Always fun your computer is infected. No, no. Your computer is infected. I think you have one of those 1 900 number things. Hi. You've reached 1 900. Get bent. <laughs> yeah, see. But you can pull that off a lot better. Man. Although, when I was. You can do that. When I was doing this telemarketing <laughs> thing. I did have a woman find out who we were because we always gave the company name. Uh -huh. She found us and, and specifically her husband found us and called and asked for me. And, wow. and she said – and he says, hey, you know, uh, my wife really liked your voice. Do you mind like calling us back and talking to my wife for a while? I'm like, that's kind of weird, dude because I, I don't get it. And, and it turned out apparently she uh, – she she got a little uh, bothered by my voice and oh. wanted wanted to hear the voice again. And the husband was like, uh, really? His voice was that good? Let's find him. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I'm like, that's funny. as flattering that's as that is, that's kind of also creepy. That, that's yeah. maybe a little a little creepy. Love, exciting and is new. Is that like when I was looking for a roommate once and a woman called me up and she's like, Hi, yeah, my husband's going to be staying in that town for a little while and he needs a place to stay. But um, we're into this, you know, submissive thing and he's a submissive and he would come and stay with you as your roommate and pay you rent and everything. But... I need you to give him chores and tell him to do things, and he'll do whatever you say. And it's not a sexual thing, but it oh, was oh, really oh, crazy. Oh, the heck it's not. He just <laughs> needs to be treated like dirt. Yeah, exactly. It was like, Anyway, oh. getting back on topic. <laughs> oh, gee. Have we, we, we wandered, wandered off topic wandered again? Off topic. What a surprise. Yeah. So uh, setting up to do a short film it's the film was about nine and a half minutes long something around it's there nine minutes long including credits and uh the just the logistics of setting all this up did you did you sign up to be a union signature for this film uh we did do a uh sag contract to this so because we had two sag actors and mm -hmm. i'm a sag actor Mm -hmm. And um, it's very weird the way that works right now, especially when you have no money and you know the project is likely not to make any money because it's it's not exactly a regular mm -hmm. um, project that's that's got a 
open market to go to to be able to make money at the moment. So, and it's not like a pilot for a series. It's nothing like that. Yeah, short short like films are gonna... notoriously difficult to market. It's really it's difficult notoriously to difficult to sell. But it is a, a nice um, way to showcase actors and mm-hmm. and people's talent, and that's kind of what we were pushing for. Um, at least as much as we could with the time and money we had. I think if we'd had more time, we could have worked a little more on, uh, had a little more time to play with performances and stuff, and that would have been nice. And and some of the other things that we just, we didn't have the luxury of time to do because it, we had to get everything done in, Mm-hmm. relatively quickly there was a deadline and you did have effects and, and there's only so much effects. you can do with effects if you don't have a budget right i was very lucky i did a little bit of the effects myself and then um another friend of mine mark ortiz and this is interesting because he did it long distance from washington dc mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. cool i was sending him where he files. does effects for the government <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to tell you. I can't tell you what he does there. I have to kill you. Um, so he did the effects of the appearing, disappearing time mm-hmm. machine shots. That those really those really sold the story. Those were really cool. important, right? And uh, that was tricky because some of the shots I needed to pull off that effect were not quite there. <laughs> I thought my DP had gotten those shots, and when I got into post, I went, hmm, that's not really there, is it? Or it's missing, or whatever. So luckily, because I come from a post background, I was able to piece something together. So, um, But, you know, again, it's one of those things, if we had had more time, um, we could have made sure we had all the shots we would have had a mm-hmm. script supervisor we would have a regular shot sheet you know we you know all these little things um that you don't realize come in handy and it <laughs> you, you don't realize just how uh uh how each one of these roles seems simple when you describe it you know right. like this person does this particular task and this person that person does that particular task and it doesn't seem like a lot but it is a lot when you're trying to do it in real time with commotion going on all around you and you can't afford a single mistake not one yeah. so you have to have that extra uh, you have to have that extra overhead it's okay if it's if it seems a bit simple because it has to be perfect it right. has to be perfect, or there's no show. The whole show is ruined if some if one person drops one one single aspect of it. Well, there, there's pros and cons to big a big crew because then everybody has their specific thing that they focus on and that they're in charge of. Um, but then you also have <clears throat> more cooks. Right. Well, one of the things that I was going to say is that when you're on a very large shoot, and especially one that's a union shoot, you have people that are very much pigeonholed by their job and their union, and they only do that. And you are not allowed to cross over from your discipline into someone else's to help because that is their job. That is what they get paid to do. They do it. You can't. And when you're doing a smaller film like this, everybody can pitch in with whatever skills that they've got and make it work. And that, I think, is what really helps pull some of these smaller films together is everybody's like, oh, you know what? I can do that. Do you need me to do that? Let's do that. And people can make suggestions. People can bring different skills to the table that they're not bound by the discipline that their union would normally lock them into. Like if you have a sound guy, uh, which was actually Gene's job on our location shoot. Yeah, I I, I, drafted at the last minute. I pulled boom for the exterior shots. Yeah. That that one day when you shot exteriors. Yeah. Yep. And and so, you know, but you can also say, hey, you know, from where I'm standing, this angle looks pretty good. You might want to shoot from over here. Whereas, you know, on a regular larger movie shoot, you kind of can't do that because it's sort of not your thing and you have to keep your hands off. Yeah, I, for me, I was basically just happy to know that the boom was not in the shot. That was my, <laughs> and I was getting as we close to. We would have told you. <laughs> yeah. We and would I, have told Gosh you. darn it, Gene. <laughs> Yeah, Wait a minute. Well, who's that you know, person it, in the bottom? Getting the getting the microphone as close to the edge of that uh, frame line as I, you know, the camera's uh, uh, viewing frustrum as I possibly could, 
uh, without actually getting in the shot. Well, yeah, and to your credit, tricky. I did not get hit by the boom mic once during the shoot. I take but it afterwards, I beat him senseless with it. <laughs> right. I take it you've been hit before. Not only have I been hit by boom mics before, I have had uh, set lighting come down on my head. I've been hit by oh. barn doors. Oh my I've God. had all sorts of crazy stuff happen to me. Yeah, Ow. yeah. It's, it's amazing uh, you still have a scalp. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean I don't have a scar. <laughs> oh. But yeah, there was there was one short film that we did, which finally came out after 12 years. Uh, it's the the Mad Max oh, yeah. uh, uh-huh. short that we did that was called Morning Commute. And I'm in the backyard. I'm in my Star Wars car, which I really decorated up to, to look like super futuristic thing because the whole script was based on a tabletop game called Car Wars. And so it was this kind of Mad Max thing where cars are fighting and we're shooting. Okay, the- if you're new to Krypton and you don't know Sean, he has this car that's all decked out to be a Star Wars car, complete with R2-D2 in the back and blasters on the side. If right. You, if yes. you've seen pictures of a Star Wars car, it's it, probably It's his. probably mine. So this, probably was, this was my first one. It was a Honda Del Sol. And so I took off the laser cannons. I put machine guns on it. I took off R2. I put a flamethrower on it. And I completely decked out the inside with all this computer gear and lots of lights and things. And we we were doing the interiors for the car Mm -hmm. in my backyard. So we we had it lit so that everything was pretty dark. The roof was off the car because it's a target top. And I pulled the roof off. And I'm in this car in a business suit. I've shaved my beard, which I've only done like <laughs> twice in 30 years. And, and you know, I'm sitting there doing the, you know, I'm driving and it's tough and we're fighting and all that kind of stuff. And we're in between setups and one of the sets of barn doors falls off the light and like hits me tag straight in the head. Oh, and, and I'm like, ow, that really hurt. And then I pulled my hand away from my head and there was like blood everywhere. And I'm like, I need a break. <laughs> oh, wow. Just a break. Makeup. Yeah. Band-aid. So yeah. how many shooting days did you have, Karen? We had three shooting days. We had uh, we had the interiors, which was a really long day because the set wasn't done being built. So we spent half the day building the set and then all night shooting. And then we had the day at uh, the exterior of the, the door the uh-huh. doorway where you That was the shot. day I participated. And then we did um, the exteriors at the Oxnard Heritage Square um, where we did basically the setup for, for the town. So you got to see the townspeople right. wandering around uh, mm-hmm. to set the scene to get everything going. And, uh, and that was a half day. And I shot that day. And luckily, you know, we didn't need sound that day, so that mm-hmm. made it a little easier. And, um, and for location at, uh, at Heritage Square... Did you have to get permits? Did they just give you permission? Uh, we got special permission. Okay. Um, one of the ladies that we drafted um, to do costuming, um, uh, she knew somebody at Heritage Square, and um, she kind of made the initial contact, and I contacted them and let them know what it was, that it will, it's not really a for-profit project, but... Um, we're trying to do as good a job as we can with no money. And um, they were about to have a steampunk festival coming up. And so they thought it was a great opportunity to do a little cross promotion. Hmm. So we did. Nice. And um, and it was great. Everybody who came were volunteers. If they didn't have costuming, I helped them with the costuming along with all these costumers that were helping me. Um, and even our... Um, our composer, who is the first person to sign on to the project, David, uh, David Raikland. Yeah. David Raikland. Great he, guy. Great he guy. came and he did background. And oh, was, right on. It was great. That's that's neat. Did he carry like a guitar or a lute or something? <laughs> no. Indicate he, he was the music guy? No. He <laughs> should have done something like that. That would have been awesome. No, he did not. I have brought my mandolin. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because he, even before I had this project planned, he, uh, we belonged to another networking group and he said i'd like to work with you on a project let me know when you're doing something that's neat that's and, neat. Uh, he he actually wrote uh he wrote uh, theme music for a uh a space opera um radio drama that i had been writing and sean was starring in it actually it's called um halfway home adventures in the asteroid belt oh wow and unfortunately uh i I got, I think, nine episodes into a 14-episode run uh, in terms of writing it, and I I just hit the wall. 
I just hit the wall. We call that a stalled project. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a stalled it's, project. It's not done. It hasn't gone away. It might come back. I've got a few of those myself. But it's stalled. You know? Yeah, David's pretty pretty awesome. Everybody who came and helped with this project was awesome. I just I couldn't have done it without all their help. Even uh, Scott Zapp Higgins came out of nowhere. I had met him through my sister-in-law, and he brought all these tools and um, actually moving pieces of equipment that we could say were part of the chronometer, and he even drew us this amazing schematic um, after he saw that what the chronometer looked like, and so he added all these little bits and pieces. And he, also like reverse engineering the machine drawing he from, did. from the thing that you built. He decided how that's it cool. was supposed to work because he's got an engineering background and oh, everything. that's neat. And that's neat. It was really awesome. Um, I just picture him smacking himself in the head going, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. add this bit over here and that bit over there. Then he came and worked on the set. The day we had to like build the set and shoot all night, he came early and he was there all day. What a gruesome day. We were moving furniture, building a set, shooting all all night. All in one day. What a gruesome, grueling day. Oh, but that's that's kind of par for the course on a lot of short films though yeah. it's like you get there and you set it up and you end up with these like 16 18 20 hour days because yeah. you've had to populate your set and then you've well, had to shoot how is it. how is that different from a, a professional production shoot uh, well, a lot of times you can have your uh, set designers and builders working on uh-huh. a set before you even move your cameras and your other yeah. equipment over. I mean, but the, in terms in terms of the twenty hour days, I've I've worked twenty hour days on the set. Yeah, well, but but you know, union regulations for the most part tried to keep you like under sixteen because it gets really expensive after yeah. sixteen hours. Well, so. and because people can accidentally kill themselves after sixteen hours with no yeah. uh, working there, that yeah. long. There have been some tragic events, yeah. And well and they you know, they start doubling the union pay and nobody wants to right. pay that. It oh, was God, a matter yes. of availability of people. It was like we could only get them for this one day. Um, mm-hmm. because, oh, yeah. yeah know, I don't think I could make got... it that day. I don't know what was going on. I couldn't come out. No, you had a show or something yeah, that day. Yeah, it was very sad. And um, we had people who that was the only day they could come because they had day jobs. And um, our actors were only available that day because they had other shows they were doing. And I went, okay, we're going to have to somehow make this happen. Now, you were shooting, uh, you were shooting on private property for, uh, I guess, all three days. How did all that – How did – I know that uh, you're not going to get me in trouble for something, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I'm just, you know, shooting in shooting in Los Angeles is crazy. Mm-hmm. So you have a, uh, for example, you have a a, um, uh, a drone shot, mm-hmm. and you're chasing a guy. He he uh, 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 he's driving on the freeway. He stops his car by the side of the freeway. He runs down the embankment. He jumps over a fence across the city park. Wow! Uh, up, up, uh, up somebody's driveway and uh, into a storefront. Okay, you've got to have insurance and a permit yep. for the freeway. Yep. Insurance and a separate permit for the park. Insurance and a separate getting, permit for the getting you, a permit for the freeway. That's that's what's that yeah. is hard. That's and, next to and impossible, insur- and yeah. it's crazy expensive. And yeah, yeah and really it's crazy expensive. expensive. You've got one shot, and you've just burned through uh, um, uh, probably fifteen thousand dollars worth of insurance and permits. Well, right. and beyond the permits and stuff, you need the public service support where you've got you right. know because city you electricians, to, city police. Yes, and you cannot do it without that. Right, well, you, and you and must that, hire those those uh, uh, those services. Yeah, that's or another, they won't let you do it. That's another limitation to doing a, a no budget project is you got to go. Where can we shoot? What what resources do we have? Well, and that's when you call in favor, favors and yep. you find private things. that <laughs> yep. like, private, like private, you, private venues. Property. You had a really private good handshake. Can shoot. You had a really good handshake deal with the, uh, with the museum, which yep. was great, which is like, yep. I'll help you. You, you know, we'll, we'll help, uh, you know, we'll they help each good. other out. It was yep. pretty good stuff. It was awesome. That's they the were best way to do great. it. And we, so we tried to be very small footprint when we came, um, 
we did handheld shots. Um, we were shooting with the DSLR. So we basically looked like tourists who appeared in steampunk costumes. So the few people that were there that day actually enjoyed seeing us. Nice. So it was mm-hmm. good for them. And, uh, and we came on a day when it was very quiet there. So, so you didn't have trucks and trucks and trucks and, and, and people running around and yelling and, and, and uh, uh, 10-foot tall thousand five thousand watt lights no and scrims and all of them you didn't even have to have porta potties no yeah at (laughs) that level i mean you can you can get away with honey wagons i I had a wagon a wagon not a honey wagon wagon. i had a wagon one of those little collapsible wagons like a radio flyer yes like a radio (laughs) flyer but you know that they're now they're like Made out of fabric and they're collapsible and uh, oh yeah we have one we and have they, one of those yeah some so. of them have inflated tires <laughs> that are good enough that you can use them as your camera dolly there you go so but we that's what we had we put all the extra equipment in there and and the craft services so everything was uh-huh. in the wagon we, we brought red the vines and around. granola bars and fruit boxes and you're gonna like it yeah and there were two of us shooting it's, one was shooting stills and I was shooting. Uh, the video portion, and um, and then we had our our cast, which was all extras, uh-huh. and um, and even twenty five years ago, you couldn't have done it in that compact space. No, it, w- it would not have been possible because you uh, uh, twenty five years ago, it would have been mechanical, you know, chemomechanical photographic processes. You shoot it with a Shoot it with an air or something, or yeah. well, you shoot it with an Super Aeroflex. Eight. You probably shoot it with an Aeroflex. Well, no, I mean, you could do handheld like with an you, you could have done it as a 16. video project. Yeah, well, yeah. you could have, but but the, yeah. but the gear was incredible. Garbage. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, the first camera I shot with was a uh, was a three quarter inch video camera, which had an external deck. I so that I was, was me too. Like yeah. seventy five pounds of gear, bazooka on your shoulder uh, for the yes. camera. Yeah, I had, I had and one then of those. a pack on the side. And my, I weighed like one hundred twenty five pounds, and yeah, I'm my carrying seventy five pounds uh, of gear. Uh, my father is one of those people who buys the very newest thing, whether it makes economic sense for him. He's an early not. adopter. A very early adopter. Yeah. It was like in 1975, he had a cell phone in his car. Ooh. One oh, of the, one with, of those with the nice big handle battery pack thing that had to be plugged in and the antenna in the back trunk. That's the one. Yeah, wow. wow. Yeah, he had one of those. That's and awesome. It, and it's he needed it because... Uh, he was just a big Charlie's Angels fan and he wanted oh, okay. to... Well, he, he would... Charlie. <laughs> he was... Uh, <laughs> By that time, I think he was doing uh, accident liability investigation, oh, wow. and he was driving all over the country. And wow. you know, driving—it's more economical to drive than fly. So he would he would uh, uh, get in the car, and off he'd go across the desert or wherever. And if he needed to make a phone call. Boy, howdy. Yeah, he but not in the right middle then. of New Mexico where there were no antennas. He'd have to be yes. by Sometimes. a civilized area. Yeah, it's satellite, straight up to the satellite. Oh, wow. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's the technology available now is so much. It's just astonishing. Well, now we have tricorders in our pockets. I mean, these, these cell phones that we have, the smartphones. They're computers. They're they are, computers. They are so much better than the computers I, I had like 20 years ago. I know how many megapixels my, the camera in my phone does. I know that, that the front-facing camera is 8 megapixels. Right. My, and that's yeah. the crappy one. My, my rear one is 14. That's just over the last couple of years. That's, yeah. and, it, and it shoots 4K. It shoots yeah. 4K video at 30 frames a second. And then try to edit with that. I've, I've worked on feature films where... Where they would bring in 4K files, and they were a pain to work oh, with because they're, huge. they're, they're, they're especially if they're not compressed. Yeah. If you're talking like feature film, non-compressed 4K no, files, no, they're, they're enormous. And so to get a system that can play these files in real time mm-hmm. is just next to impossible. So if you're trying to go through and fix them frame by frame, it's you want to poke your eye out with a fork. We have <laughs> well, a... And now let's now let's talk about the resolution of these files as contrasted to the release format. They're they are the release. Do they format. Do, do they release in four K? Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes, that's the yeah. only reason to edit in four K is if you're releasing in four K. No, it's not. Well, you can no, store. There, a lot reason. of them store in four. But the thing too is they've discovered now because of four K and everything that. Um, when they go back to upgrade some of the old television shows to high def, um, if they were shot in film, 
it can be done, and it can be done fairly easily, except that you have to restore the, mm-hmm. the film issues, the scratches and dust. And, yeah, you have to emulate what right. they. You yeah. have to emulate the film grain and the, this kind of thing. You have to fix but, stuff. But it, but on shows that were shot like in the '90s, what they did is they telecined the film. Mm-hmm. And then they edit it on video. Right. So right. to try to go to high def, if you don't have the original film footage, is next to impossible. They right. do a faux bump up, and it's not true high def. Right. Well, that's it's kind of the only reason why some of like the things like Star Trek is able to go HD, although the special effects. Right. The special effects need to be fixed, and then they need to crop the frame so that it fits current aspect ratio, right. which no, the original ones as did. I, as I understood yes. it um, – Theatrical projection is only 2K. Motion it depends projection is on 2K. the theater. Yeah. Most of the theaters are 2K, but some of them are not. Some of them. Well, and digital projection now is 4K, and they make a pretty big deal about it. And IMAX is? is. Yeah, Dolby. A lot of Dolby is 4K projection. And you'll see it when you go to buy your tickets. And mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles, we're very, very spoiled because we get the, the latest and greatest of everything. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we have Dolby Atmos. We have a lot of theaters here in L.A. that are trying to be like the absolute best. And so they'll tell you what the presentation is. And there are a lot of 4K theaters out there that'll do it. And if you go into a special environment, like uh, I used to work for Griffith Observatory doing their planetarium shows. And in 2000 and three, four, five, uh, we were a guinea pig for Evans and Sutherland. And they brought these laser projectors in that oh, they, were, they were hoping Ooh. to do for film projection. And so we had one projector at the front of our planetarium, one projector at the back that would overlap with a center line. And my job was to create, uh, to edit and create the 16K output video. Oh my that would God. show on wow. this dome. And that was on the technology of the time. Right. Wow. And so it was it was cutting state of the art. We had all sorts of problems with the projectors that eventually they of got worked they out because yeah. we were the only people who had them. And but we also one of the things we didn't do and and what we did before we taped this show is we all played with a virtual reality unit that uh, the Gene has here in the house. Mm-hmm. And we have so, an HTC Vive, and it's, uh, it's, it's very, fun. very immersive. It was really great. So it's fun. one of the things that we needed to do with the 75-foot diameter dome, since we were moving through space in every direction overhead, we had to figure out what the audience could handle. And so for the very first thing we did, we recreated the opening to Star Wars. <laughs> and so if you sat forward, you had the opening crawl, you had the star field, the music, everything that you normally saw in Star Wars, the starships would fly over your head, it would pan down to the planet, <laughs> it was brilliant. Then you watched it a second time, and you looked over your shoulder. You saw the starships coming, and they would fly over your head, they would be around you. And we had to like start from a static position watching this stuff happen around you. And then we had to start moving the camera and decide what the audience could handle at this super high resolution. And so we would do barf tests <laughs> where basically we would fly you through the galaxy awesome. and make sure you didn't get nauseous as you watched this. It was it was incredible. Oh, that's great. But this was in the early 2000s when uh-huh. the Griffith Observatory had shut down. They got rid of their... Laserium presentation, they got rid of the slideshow things they used to do, and they went for this full motion video that's still there now. It's beautiful. Uh, and some of the planetarium shows are really magnificent, in addition to just showing star stuff. Mm-hmm. At the end of the show that we were working on, which was called Centered in the in the Galaxy, um, you would fly through space. You would come back to Earth. You would home in on Los Angeles, come down around the city, and land on the front lawn of the Griffith Observatory, which you were currently sitting in. Wow. And it was magnificent. And we ended up putting together a render farm of like 88 machines that we put in a closet with their own air conditioning so that we could do this stuff. We had to get rid of most of our Macintoshes and have uh, PCs, Windows machines, because they were a little more resilient and we could bend them to our will. (laughs) Whereas the Macintoshes are kind of more of a closed environment we changed so much hardware to make this work and but it was so beautiful and it's so immersive and it's so incredible to see this thing uh that that at the time it was mind-numbing but wow. 16k was incredible wow and i bet yes yeah it was just way beyond and we didn't even have 4k tvs they weren't well, even was talking a about that really big deal when return of the jedi came out when return of the jedi came out i came out in 70 millimeter and they actually made contracts with a lot of the 
uh, movie theaters that it had to be shown in 70 millimeter. Right. And some of the contracts were that it had to be in the theater for a year. So that was a, that had to have been a hard sell. I wait I, for Return I was of a the kid. Jedi in 1983. Yeah, because I was I, I was a kid. I was uh, I oh. was a kid working in the movie theater. My first day working in a movie theater was the first day of opening day Return of the Jedi. That wow. was that I can what's insane. funny is I can nail you down to that day. It's May Don't 25th. Tell me. May 25th. No, 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 no. Don't tell me. I remember I remember that first day because um Don't tell him what Gene and I were I at the was, same theater and we, we didn't know we each other. Yeah, I, was kid. I had to have the a Egyptian. work permit just so you know. Nice. <laughs> and uh I was there with my replica Yoda. Mm-hmm. That I had built oh, uh, wow. from scratch with uh, I had two apprentices, both of whom went on to form their own effects companies. By the way, oh wow! Oh wow! Uh, one of them is uh, Jeff Farley, who created Obscure Artifacts, okay. and the other was Michael Moore, who started HMS. Oh my gosh! You worked with Michael Moore? I trained him. I was his oh, right first. On. I was his well, first I, mentor. I worked at Atlanta Action Props, which was oh, uh-huh. was him and uh, um, they God they changed names three or four times. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and yeah, now they're HMS. And I worked with Scott Brodine, who's there too. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah very, I, was, very interesting. I was Michael Scott Moore Brodeen. and Jeff Farley's first mentor. Wow. I was wow. the one who taught them their first stuff. And they they were they uh worked with me on the Yoda project and we nice. uh we attracted the attention of all three networks. Sure. Uh, they all three networks interviewed us and the crowds we're, okay, for you young people, out there the were street. only three major television networks at the time. Right. And a- ABC, CBS, and, and we had Battle of the Network Stars. Right. And uh, the crowds were were bellied. They were as much to see Star Wars. They were there to see Yoda. Oh, oh sure. wow. And yeah. we attracted so much of a crowd that the crowd was milling around on the sidewalk trying to get a, a look at Yoda and they they were actually bellying out, <laughs> spilling out onto the street and had blocked a lane of traffic. Wow. Now, where was this again? It, the Egyptian, the Egyptian Theater, Theater in Hollywood. Oh, okay. Before they did the renovation and made it very nice, the Egyptian actually had a forecourt that was really nice when they built the theater. And then it had gotten dilapidated over the years. And by 1983, it was sort of like a homeless shelter. Lots of people would sleep there and it smelled like pee and it was mm. kind of a mess. But uh, but yeah, the Egyptian was like because everybody's like, oh, they showed it at the Chinese theater. No, they didn't. They showed it at the Egyptian. Yep, the first the Star Egyptian was the first. The day. first Star Wars was at the Chinese, right? And then right, Empire and right. Jedi were at the Egyptian, which which you know always makes the people who camp out in front of the Chinese a little upset. And so like, oh no, it's always been at the Chinese. No, it wasn't. We were there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Yoda thing was pretty incredible, and I didn't realize that that was Gene. And so we probably. We probably had talked because uh, much experience I have with Master Yoda's voice. <laughs> and so almost certainly I came up and probably played with the puppet and, you know. Luminous beings are we. Not this cheap background polyester. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have dueling Yodas How do you people? get so big that's eating Jean. this crap? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Sean. Dueling Yodas. And I don't do Yoda. Well, and what's what's really funny is that we had... Uh, independently, I had a Yoda puppet that I worked for about ten years, mm-hmm. and I would you take him to kids' hospitals. You had your Yoda puppet and... with yeah, you at as, the con as, when I met you, as, yeah, I as a costume piece because he does Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, somewhere between one hundred and sixty and one hundred and eighty charity events. About one hundred and sixty, yeah, uh, yeah, a year, right? As yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi, or now recently, well, and, and that's Skywalker. that's the thing, of course, that makes it very easy. Is being Obi Wan Kenobi is a lot more easy on the voice than being. Master Yoda, you know, and it and it depends on which one. If I'm, you know, sometimes you're the younger Obi Wan Kenobi and the Ewan McGregor, and well, and then sometimes you have to be the Alec Guinness and be the older one. It really depends no, on the costume. It's, yeah, it's actually. Uh, <laughs> did you know that um, uh, Yoda originally came from Switzerland? Really? Yeah, but he was very young then when he was still a Yodeling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that note, I where... find your lack of humor disturbing. Where can we see Love in the Age of Steam now? It's on Vimeo. If you go to Vimeo.com and you search for Love in the Age of Steam, you will find it. Karen McCarthy, director and producer and writer of Love in the Age of Steam, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon. Sean Crosby, 
Thank you so much for joining us along with Karen. Thank you for having me. It has been great having you both here. Sean Crosby, consummate flunky. (laughs) Glad to be here. It's it's fun to be on someone else's show for a while. It doesn't happen very often to me. (laughs) We are back from our month's hiatus with a new episode. You have been listening to the 202nd episode of Krypton Radio's production of The Event Horizon for August 25th, 2018. Our guests today have been Karen McCarthy, producer and director of the short subject Love in the Age of Steam, and... Krypton Radio Morning DJ, actor, and voice artist, Sean Obishan Crosby. This episode will air again on August 26th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of these airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported sci-fi geek culture radio. We're the only station in the world that does this, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and donate a dollar or two a month to help keep the station on the air. If everybody thinks to themselves, that's somebody else's job, or somebody else will take care of it for me, then there's no station. Be a hero for everyone else and go pledge. That's patreon.com slash kryptonradio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.